Hi, this is Pastor Curtis. I want to thank you for checking out the Family Church Podcast. I hope it encourages you and inspires you to take your next step of faith. You can find out more about how to do that at our website, familychurch.xyz. And if you know a friend who needs to hear this message, please forward it on to them. I hope you enjoy the message. You know, one of history's greatest mysteries is how a first century sect, or cult even, whose leader was not only rejected by his own people, but also crucified at the request of his own people, how that cult, that movement, not only survived, survived, but even thrived while facing organized, violent opposition that was backed by the Roman Empire. How did that happen? Or another way to look at this question would be to ask, what happened that caused Rome to embrace the same religious movement they sought to destroy and eradicate for 300 years? When you study this topic, you'll discover that historians who have studied this for years, even generations, all come to pretty much the same conclusion. And that conclusion is perhaps best summed up by a church historian, actually a secular historian, her name was Karen Armstrong, who wrote a book titled Fields of Blood, Religions, and the History of Violence, which sounds like a real interesting book. Uh, but anyway, here was her answer to that question. Against all odds... By the third century, Christianity had become a force to be reckoned with. And then she continues, we still do not really understand how this came about. Some aspects of this are still a mystery. In other words, even the experts on this topic, they, they can't explain it. They don't understand how this happened. There's no denying that it's true. I mean, the fact that you're sitting here this morning proves that it's true that this movement is still thriving and living. But unless we pay attention to the eyewitness testimonies of those otherwise ordinary men and women who were there when this movement first was started and playing out and documented these events, unless we pay attention to what their record of this was, then we really won't ever understand this mystery. One of those significant historical events that kind of helps answer this question was recorded for us by a first century accountant, a guy by the name of Matthew. Now, here's some of the backstory. By this time, Jesus had been with his disciples about two and a half years. So they had, they had heard him teach a lot. They had seen him do a lot of miracles, perhaps hundreds of miracles. And one day in his conversation with his, his guys, his disciples, Jesus asked them an interesting question, a question that you and I probably shouldn't ever ask anyone unless you've got thick skin. He asked them, who do people say the Son of Man is? Jesus asked the guys, hey, what's the word out on the streets about me? Any of you brave enough to ask that question? <laughs> hey, what's the word out on the streets about me, right? This was their reply in verse 14, Matthew 16. They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others say Jeremiah or one of the prophets. And it's interesting, it's interesting that, that Jesus was compared to these three men. But when you look at, when you look at the, the, his, his ministry, it really kind of makes sense because Jesus did indeed have something of the character and the message of John the Baptist. At times he had something of, of the passion and fire and intensity of Elijah, and he always had some of the lament and grief 
of Jeremiah. So, so people weren't dissing Jesus by comparing him to those three prophets. They were complimenting him. The problem was he was more than just a prophet or great teacher. So Jesus presses them further in verse 15, Matthew 16. But what about you? Who do you say I am? And see, this is the ultimate question that every person must answer. Who is Jesus Christ to you? A good teacher? An excellent role model? Just an ancient historical figure? A myth? An influential religious leader? A quack? A con artist? A misguided fool? What do you believe about Jesus Christ? Not surprisingly, Peter is the first one to answer this question that Jesus asked them. Verse 16, Peter chimes in. You are the Christ, the son of the living God. In other words, Peter says, we believe that you're the Messiah, God's chosen one. And Jesus tells Peter, bingo, you got it, bud. That's exactly who I am. And this next statement by Jesus is epic because it would forevermore change the course of not just church history, but the history of mankind. Here's what he said in verse 18. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, or ecclesia actually is the Greek word there. And Kyle touched on this briefly last week. But the word, honestly, the word church shouldn't be in the Bible. It, it, was a, it was a German word that was added later. And this is really for another sermon. But the point being, the more accurate translation here would be movement. On this rock, I will build my movement. Now, the reason that's important for us to understand is because God never intended the church. Listen, God never intended the church to be confined to or defined as an inanimate building or structure. In fact, and we'll come back to this in a minute, but the Apostle Paul actually used the analogy of a human body to define and describe the church. And I'm sure this was no less confusing to the 12 disciples than it is to us today, which must have been really puzzling to them when he told them, think about this, Jesus told them that he was handing the keys over the, this movement that he had started. He was handing the keys of that movement over to them. And they're probably thinking, seriously, Jesus, you're going to turn this thing over to us? I mean, we don't even like each other sometimes. Have you, have you thought this through, Jesus, what you're about to do here? And Jesus doubles down. He says, the gates of hell, or Hades, shall not prevail against it, against this movement. And please note who's on the offensive here. It says, the gates of Hades will not prevail, which clearly indicates that this movement that he started is on the offensive, okay? We're in part two of a series titled, The Art of Being Unordinary, or The Art of Being uh, yeah, Unordinary, where we're looking at what it means as a Jesus follower to, to be the church, to be the church the body of Christ, because as Jesus followers, we don't go to church, we are the church. And you've probably heard that before, but it is true. And, and since we are, now think about this, if we are the church, that means the church is going to look like us. And as I'm looking out here, I'm thinking, is that a good thing or a bad thing this morning? Seriously, that means that we don't have the luxury of living ordinary lives because Jesus didn't die for an ordinary church. He called us to be unordinary. And when we start living unordinary lives, that's when our lives and the church become extraordinary. Church history looks back on the pillars of the church as extraordinary men and women. 
But at the time that God was using them, they didn't recognize their obedience to Jesus as, as changing their lives from something ordinary to unordinary. They just knew that there was something about following this guy that, that was different. It, it, made, it made their life better, and it made them better at life. But this idea of us being the church was no less confusing to the 12 disciples then as it can be to us today. Because not only were they aware of their own shortcomings, they were also aware, think about this, they were also aware of what happened to people who started new movements in Rome. Caesar did not look favorably on new movements. Neither did the religious leaders. People who started, here's, in fact, people who started new movements at that time in history tended not to live for very long. People who started new movements at that time in history ended up like Jesus ended up dead. But the reason the movement Jesus started didn't die with him is because he didn't do what every other dead movement leader did. He didn't stay dead. And for all intents and purposes, the New Testament church gathering, not building, the New Testament gathering started the moment that Jesus rose from the dead. I know that history points to the day of Pentecost as the birthday of the church when the 120 went in the upper room and the Holy Spirit came out. I understand that. But the power source, the motivating and energizing factor for that gathering of people began when Jesus Christ rose from the dead on that first Easter morning. And in a very real sense, you, me, if you're, a, if you're a Jesus follower, we're all a fulfillment of Jesus' prophecy to his disciples that day when he said that he was going to build his church, his ecclesia, his gathering of people. And nothing, not even death, would be able to hinder it from growing and moving forward. When Jesus first handed off the advancement of this kingdom to those 12 otherwise ordinary disciples, then as it continued to grow from 12 to 120, then shortly after on the day of Pentecost, Peter preached a sermon. And think about this, 5,000, over 5,000 people got saved when Peter got done preaching that sermon. And now here we are today, against all odds, right? Me, you, we are the stewards of that movement, which means, which means if we're the stewards of that movement now, that means that the faith of this generation and the next generation is now in our hands. So we have a choice to make. We can be consumers and selfishly take from this movement what we need to get by and get us to heaven, get our children to heaven, get our grandchildren to heaven, go to church, pay our tithe, maybe go to a night of worship every now and then because those make us feel good. They do, right? We can do all those things and call it good. We can consume what we want and need from this movement and then dis disengage. Or, or we can contribute, we can engage with it more fully and actually be a part of history as we make sure that we're doing our part to ensure that this movement, the church, the ecclesia continues moving forward as salt and light. Being the conscience of our community, the conscience of our nation and influencing the conscience of the world. Now, why is this important? Well, I think we need look no further than what's taking place in Ukraine to see why this is important. Now, why is it that most of the world is upset about what Russia did by attacking and invading Ukraine? Why is that? Well, it's just not right. Who said? Who said that it's, it's not right? Well, you just don't go impose your right, your will, your government on a neighboring nation, your values. You don't do that. Who said? 
Seriously, who, who said that, right? Why is it that every single one of us sitting in here this morning intuitively know what Russia did was wrong? Why is it that people from all over the world, whether they go to church or not, whether they claim to be a Christian or not, why, they do, why do they believe that what Russia did was wrong? I think the answer lies in that author, Karen Armstrong's statements. That, that, that sense of what we ought to do and what we ought not to do, that is the direct result of the kingdom's influence from that first century Jewish sect that was started by a Jewish carpenter who in 30 AD gathered 12 otherwise ordinary guys and made their lives unordinary as they began to follow him and begin living their life by a new ethic, a new moral code grounded in this grand idea of loving one another. Because see, and you know this, there was a time in this world when what happened in Ukraine was just a way of life, right? A time when might makes right. Russia invaded Ukraine. Oh, wow, that's too bad. I guess it sucks to be a Ukrainian right now. I hope it works out for them over there, right? Why is there this almost universal sense of what's taking place in Ukraine right now being so wrong? In fact, the only place or places on this earth where people wouldn't be opposed to what's happening in Ukraine are those places where this kingdom ethic that Jesus taught is not present or no longer present. This idea of human dignity, human rights, this all comes from this, this upside-down kingdom principles that Jesus taught during his three years of earthly ministry. So if we are the church, all right, which, which we are, we, we've determined that, right? You are the church. The question is, will we become contributors and embrace this responsibility in a way that will perpetuate what Jesus started or, or, Will we become consumers and use the church when it benefits us, but otherwise just leave it alone to die, maybe perhaps a slow death? Will we be good stewards of the thing that Jesus entrusted to us? Because listen, the only way that this is going to work, this, this, this is important, so don't lose me here. The only way that this is going to work, right? The only way we're going to be able to pull this off is if everyone's on board. This is all skate. That's what I'm saying here. This is all skate. Everyone out skating on this one. Right? Some of you just had a flashback to the roller rink, didn't you? Those 80s music. Shoot the duck. Right. The only way this is going to work is if we do this together in totality. See, that, that's the reality the Apostle Paul was punctuating when he used the metaphor of a human body to describe what the church should look like and how it should function. He says, you are a part of the body of Christ, the church, which means you, me, are responsible to, to make sure that this upside-down kingdom ethic that Jesus taught and has influenced much of the world continues to grow and thrive. Here's how he worded it in 1 Corinthians 12, 27. The apostle Paul says, now you are, and this was, a brand, this was brand new language. Think about it. They had never heard this before. This was like a brand new idea and language. No one had ever heard someone refer to their group, their movement as a body before. But here, the Apostle Paul says, now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. We're supposed to be doing in our community what Jesus did when he was on the earth. In other words, you, me, we're all the hands and feet of Jesus on this planet. We're boots on the ground, basically, is what, is what we are, the church is. And whether you feel like you're a member of the body of Christ or not, that's irrelevant. 
That's irrelevant. If you call yourself a Jesus follower, Paul says, I'm telling you, you are a part of this movement. And then to further illustrate this new idea that he was talking about, he continues in verse 15 of 1 Corinthians 12. Now, if the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong. Well, let's just stop right here. If a foot talks, it's game over at that point, right? <laughs> I'm sorry. I, I, you know, I'm, that would weird me out, but... Now, if the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not, for that reason, stop being a part of the body, right? But you get the idea. Yeah, he, he uses this kind of almost silly metaphor, but, but the, the, the silliness of it kind of makes sense when you think about it, because can you imagine a part of your body trying to leave? I mean, that would just be weird, right? right? So reality is, it doesn't matter what any body part says. It's, if it's on your body, it's a part of the body, right? They can say whatever they want. So after the foot gets upset, then the ear gets upset. Verse 16, and if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body. Why can't I be an eye? Why can't, I mean, eyes get to see when people are coming. I'm over here on the side. I just kind of get to listen in on conversations, I'm tired of it. You know, this isn't convenient for me anymore. I don't want to be an ear. I want to be an eye, right? In other words, I'm going to take my ball and go home. Paul's point, you can't do that. If you're a Jesus follower, you're, you're a part of the body. You don't just leave. It, 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 it doesn't work that way. It does not work that way. You, me, collectively, are the hands and feet of Jesus on this planet. As he continues, he says, it would not for that reason stop being a part of the body. And to punctuate this idea, down in verse 27, he says, now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. Again, as silly, as extreme as that example and illustration are, there's no denying that it's true. Because the idea of part of your body deciding to dismember or disengage is no less ludicrous than you deciding not to engage with the body, the church. Which means, don't lose me here, which means your only option, my only option, is to find out what part of the body we are and begin working together in unison and harmony with the other members of his body as we continue to advance this movement. So act like you're part of the body because you are part of the body. Be engaged. Be engaged. And for some of you, it's time to re-engage, all right? For, for whatever reason or whatever reasons you disengage, COVID, busy schedules, time going by at the speed of life, no matter what the reasons were, you need to know that your active participation in the body of Christ, that is God's will for you. Now, I get it. I get it. I mean, when COVID broke out, it, it challenged all churches to put together an engaging online worship service. And boy, did Zach and our AVL team and our worship team knock it out of the park there. I mean, yeah, let's give them a hand. I, I, I am always amazed at how good of a job we do in that particular area. Or rather, how good of a job Zach and Dan and all of our worship team and dream team do back there. Uh, you, you guys kill it every week. In fact, we always watch our live stream when we're out of town. Last week, we were out in Colorado Springs, and so we got up Sunday morning, and we joined the EFAM, and we were watching online. And, uh, you know, every time it's like, man, this is so stinking good. We, we, we made this too good. <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm like, you know, I was, in our, I was in my jammies and my coffee. This is great, you know? So uh, I told Sue, I said, we've made this too stinking good. So don't tell anyone I said this. Right, this is between you and me. 
I'm thinking about starting to stay home too. Okay. I'm, I'm going to start staying home too and, and, and watching, all right? But hear me out because there, there's something that you should know about this, this great truth that you and me are the church. If you're grateful for family church, but not engaged with us for whatever reason, COVID, maybe you had a bad experience at a previous church, decided you'd never go back. I get it. Life happens. Bad experiences happen. But if you really want to know God's will, how many of you want to know God's will? Okay, good. Because as a pastor, I probably get asked that question more than any other. I just want to know what God's will. Well, let me tell you something. Um, I cannot conclusively tell you who you're supposed to marry. I cannot conclusively tell you what career path you need to choose. I cannot conclusively tell you what school you're supposed to apply at. But I can conclusively tell you that it is God's will for you to be a member of the body of Christ. I can say that unashamedly and conclusively. You want to know what God's will? God's will is for you to get plugged in and engage with his body. If you've accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you're part of the body. I not care what you say. You know, you can be that foot. No, no, no. doesn't matter what you say. You are a part of the body, right? Look, and, and I, I know this might come across as a, you know, like a plea for help. You know, oh, pastor, you need some help. No, no, no. Look, honestly, we really, can I, can I, I don't know, Kyle get mad for me saying this, but uh, we don't really need your help. The dream teams are killing it, right? The, 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 this, this isn't about we need you. This is about you need us. This is about you need us. You, you, you really do, right? Because you are a member of the body of Christ. So, so I'm not going to beg you, but I am inviting you. I am inviting you not to attend something, but to participate in something, something beyond ordinary, something unordinary, even extraordinary, because you're a member of the body of Christ. If you're a member of the body of Christ, short of what you do for your family, aside from the time that you spend and invest with your spouse and your children, there is no greater investment of your time, talents, and treasure than the local church. Here's why. The church is the local church is the epicenter of God's activity in the world today. And to the degree that we participate is the degree that we get to witness and be a part of some amazing things, some amazing miracles. Now, if you've been attending here for very long, you know that our mission is to be the easiest place for people to experience the love and forgiveness of Jesus Christ. That's our true north. Everything, every decision we make at this church is with an eye towards that mission statement, right? The way that we seek to accomplish this mission is by helping you take your next step of faith because everyone has a next step. These steps help lead you from living an ordinary life to an unordinary life, and eventually to an extraordinary life. And these steps are as follows. To know God. We introduce you to the God who created you in the first place. Second, to find freedom. We help you settle your, your yesterdays, the things from your past, because we all have baggage from our past, right? That's the second step, find freedom. Third, discover purpose. The two, two greatest days of your life are the day you were born and the day you find out why. And then the fourth step, make a difference. As you discover your unique God-given gifts and begin using them for God. See, this is where your life transitions from unordinary to extraordinary because this is where you begin to live for something beyond yourself. 
And by walking with you through those steps, we're helping you, and here's our word, engage with the life and mission of the local church. And our goal, full disclosure here, I ain't going to lie about it, our goal at Family Church is to inspire people to follow Jesus by engaging them in the life and mission of our local church. So real quick, let me give you three very practical, doable things to engage or re-engage with the life of the church. Number one, listen for those come sit with me opportunities. This is just a simple reminder to be looking for and listening for opportunities to invite someone to church and encouraging them with that statement, you can sit with me. You know, and we've been doing this for a while now, but it, it, it is so cool and it just thrills my heart as a pastor because I've seen how some of you have done this on social media. I've seen how, you know, you were talking with someone on Facebook or something and, and then you're asking about the church and then someone from the church, I think I saw, uh, I think I saw Natalie do it once. I saw Jenny Osmond do it once. I saw someone else do it, but they said, hey, you can come to church this Sunday. You can sit with me. And I read that and I'm like, yes, yes, they get it. They get it. But you might be surprised how otherwise that very simple statement can go a long way towards bringing someone in because what's the biggest fear for someone who either has never engaged with God or has been disengaged for a while? Fear. They don't know what's going to happen. So you're just trying to set their mind at ease. And when you do, when you invite someone to church and they come that Sunday morning, I'll tell you what's going to happen. You are going to view church from a completely different perspective. All of a sudden, what we do on Sunday mornings is going to matter to you the way that they matter to me, the way that they matter to Zach, the way that they matter to all of our dream team leaders every Sunday, every Sunday. When you invite someone to church, you want everything to be on point, don't you? I know that because you tell me. Pastor, invited my neighbor. You better preach a good one. Just FYI, that's my goal every week. <laughs> it might not always happen, but that's my goal every week is to, to preach a good one, you know, right? Or, or all right, pastor, invited, invited a friend, right? So, you know, better knock it out of the park. Just what I need, more pressure coming up here on Sunday morning, right? Or you're sitting out there next to your friend or guest or whatever and watching the countdown, and in your mind you're thinking, oh, Gosh, I hope April and Sam sing all my favorite songs this morning. Oh, I just, you know, I don't, don't, don't sing any bad songs, you know. Or I hope so-and-so doesn't raise their hands too high or start with, yeah, you just see all the weird stuff, right, right, you know. What we do here on Sunday morning, it, it does matter. And I think sometimes we lose sight of that fact, but as long as you're inviting people, then you get it, you understand This is important what we do. So pray that God would would help you be sensitive to those you can sit with me moments. And with Easter coming up, I guarantee you, you're going to have those moments. Because this is a time when everyone expects to get invited to church, right? Just put that little tagline, hey, you can sit with me. You can sit with me. Right? So be sensitive to those come sit with me moments. Second, participate in a growth group. Getting plugged into a growth group is important for a lot of reasons. Two of the more important ones I want to briefly mention First, this is where you become spiritually accountable, and this is where you capture a sense of belonging. And look, hey, I get it. Sometimes, you know, you don't find the group that you're comfortable with, or, you know, you tried the group once, and, and you know, you just didn't fit in. Well, we got more groups. You know, don't, just because you didn't fit in, or, you know, I, I, you know it, I, it started out fine, and then it just got a little stale and vanilla. Hey, if, if, if that's the case with you, if your growth group's got a little stale or vanilla, it's not time to leave. It's time to lead. Seriously. Then that means God is moving you to another point in your maturity to where, well, it's time for you to lead a group, right? 
So I would encourage you to find a, 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 a growth group where you, look, if, if, if you weren't getting fed here in the church, you know, I, I wouldn't encourage you to, to just leave and don't go to church. I would say, hey, you need to go find a church where you can fit in. So don't leave a growth group because you didn't fit in or it didn't work out or it just kind of, hey, you know what? I've been doing this a long time. I have yet to sit in a growth group where I heard something that just blew me away. Well, I've never heard that before. <laughs> it, it, it's not about getting profound. It, it's, it's that connection that you're making with others and just sharing faith and doing life together. That's the secret sauce of the growth groups, right? So, be sensitive to those. Come sit with me moments. Get involved in a growth group. And then thirdly, volunteer. If you've been coming here for very long, you know that we've experienced some amazing growth over the past couple of years. Not, not just amazing, I'm talking miraculous, right? Two years ago, we were averaging about 70 on, on Sunday mornings. Today, we're consistently averaging over, over 200. Oh, we, will, we almost quadrupled our growth. Well, hey, thanks be to God, right? They, no, thanks be to God. But I want you to know that that, that that didn't just happen. It happened because of God's hand of blessing, yes. But it also happened because many of you who stepped up to the plate and were willing to volunteer some of your time to create an inviting, welcoming environment to help make it easy for people who are far from God to come to know him or come back to him. But here's my point. This church is where it's at today because of the willingness of busy people who in spite of their busy schedules still made time to put God first in their time, treasure, and talents. People who get it. People who understand that our time on this planet is too short to live an ordinary life. And the only thing that really matters is what we do for eternity for the kingdom of God. See, look, if this church relied on only non-busy people, we wouldn't be here. And for that matter, I don't know any non-busy people, right? A week ago, Tuesday, I turned 66 years old. I know it's hard to believe. I know. Which means I'll be eligible for my full Social Security later this summer. Now, an ordinary pastor would certainly be weighing their options at this stage of their life. Don't misunderstand me. I'm not, I'm not retiring, at least not yet, but... But I'm certainly contemplating what life and ministry is going to look like for me over, over the next few years. And honestly, look, I, I debated on whether or not to share. My life's good right now. My life's good. I, I've lived a good life. I got a smoking hot wife who loves me, <laughs> supports me. You know, we've been pastoring here for 30, over 30 years. The, the average longevity for a small town pastor is three to five years. So that's a win. I think that's a huge win. For, no, no, but, but no, I, look, I've lived a good life. You know, I, we, all our kids are doing good. They're serving God. We've got great daughters-in-law and a son-in-law. We've got great grandkids that, for the most part, live close by. I got a 2005 Lexus with 201,000 miles on it. New tires and brakes. I'm good to go for another couple of years, right? An ordinary pastor would probably ride off into the sunset. But God didn't call me to ride off into the sunset. He didn't call me to be an ordinary pastor, and he didn't call you to be an ordinary church. The ironic thing is, at the time of my life when I should be slowing down, I'm working harder than I ever have before. 
Seriously. By Easter, think about this. By Easter of this year, I will have preached more this year than I did the entire year two years ago. Yeah. And the moral of that story is, don't ever let your kids come back and work with you. They'll work you like a dog. (laughs) Work you like a dog. Seriously, even though I've been working more than I ever have, I'm also more energized than I've ever been. You know why? I'll tell you why. Because the church is worth it. Because I'm not going to regret it. And because the faith of the next generation depends on it. So those of you, those of you who are engaged and give and serve faithfully, thank you so, so much. I don't tell you enough, but thank you so, so much for all that you do. I can't tell you how much that means to me, to us. Those of you who have become content to just consume, come on now, it's time to re-engage. Take off those Sunday morning pajamas you out there in the EFAM church, right? (laughs) Time to, time to engage or re-engage. Time to find your place of service and ministry in the body of Christ. Time to help us help you find your place in the church because together we can do this. We can do this. Statistics say 94% of churches are, are either plateaued or declining. You know what that means? That means family church is a, is a miracle. We're bucking the trend here. The growth that we've experienced is nothing short of a miracle. How do we get here? I'll tell you how we got here. By a bunch of otherwise ordinary people who decided to follow Jesus in spite of their busy schedules and make their lives unordinary and even extraordinary. And I got to be honest, that's why we're praying about opportunities and what it would look like to bring a life-giving church like ours and extend our vision and our mission to communities or a community that maybe currently doesn't have one. I don't know exactly what that's going to look like, but be praying with us about this as we continue to pursue unordinary lives, advancing the movement Jesus started and died for 2,000 years ago. Against all odds, against all odds, according to secular historians, this isn't preacher talk. This is, this is factual. Against all odds, some ordinary people took their own steps of faith a couple thousand years ago, and because they did, This Jewish sect, this movement that we call the church, actually changed the world once. And together, by God's grace and with your help, I believe that we can do it again. Here's how John put it. He said, the darkness did not overcome it. At Family Church, we're committed to making sure the darkness will not overcome it in our communities, in our generation, during our watch. Because the church of Jesus Christ is worth it. You won't regret it. And the faith of the next generation depends on it. Depends on you. So let's do this. Jesus asked his disciples, who do you say I am? That's not only the most important question you'll ever answer. It's also a question that we all will have to answer one day. So let me ask you that question this morning. Who do you say Jesus is? The Christian life begins with this confession, Jesus Christ is Lord. If he's not your Lord and you're far from God, it would be my honor to to pray with you in a prayer that will guide you or lead you back to God, the same God who invites you to call him Heavenly Father. And if that's you, I'm going to ask you to just repeat a prayer with me. If everyone would just bow your heads. Don't just say the words, 
mean them in your heart. It's, it's not the words. There's nothing magic in the words. It's meaning it in your heart. So if that's you, if you would like to do that, re-engage or engage with God, just pray this simple prayer. Say, Lord Jesus, thank you. Thank you for dying for me and for paying the price for my sins. I receive your forgiveness now. I declare that you are my Savior and my Lord. Fill me with your Holy Spirit and help me begin living my life for you from this day forward. In Jesus' name.